Bibles with you. You ready to dive into God's Word today? Amen. Well, last Sunday we were in Genesis chapter 32, exploring the defining moment of Abraham's grandson Jacob. And I was honest with you about the fact that I'm not too crazy about Jacob. He's uh, not one of my favorite characters in Scripture. To me, he comes across as a real snake in the grass. He was self-centered. Uh, he was deceitful. In fact, his name, Jacob, which means he grasps the heel, figuratively means deceiver. And so he was a man that throughout his early years and even throughout his adulthood lived up to that name, deceiver. But God changed his life one night as God came to him in the form of a man, in the form specifically of a man wrestler, and he wrestles for hours with Jacob, and at the end of that wrestling match, as the sun is about to come up, God gives him a second chance that probably I wouldn't have given him. God says, I'm going to change your name. You're no longer known as Jacob the deceiver. From now on, you're going to be known as Israel, which means a struggler, a wrestler with God. And so his name was changed to Israel that night, and today we are going to look at uh, the defining moments of one of Israel's sons. He had 12 of them, and the 11th of those 12 sons was named Joseph, one of the greatest heroes in the Old Testament. Open your Bibles, please, to Genesis chapter 39, starting in verse 1. If you didn't bring a Bible with you this week, I encourage you to bring it next time. Uh, in the meantime, you can grab one of those blue Bibles from the rack in front of you. Uh, if you turn to Genesis 39, you'll find it on page 40 uh, in one of those blue Bibles. And everyone, I encourage you also to pull out the message notes, especially in the front row there, guys. If you want to take some notes, that'd be great. And uh, uh, take some notes along the way, fill in some blanks so God's truths can really sink in today. That would be great. Unlike his father, Joseph was a great man of integrity. He is one of my favorite characters in the Old Testament. No matter how difficult his trials were, Joseph was the model of integrity and faithfulness to God. He is one of the great heroes of our faith. So today, we're going to look at those defining moments of Joseph. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you and we thank you for the privilege of studying your word. And so, Lord, as we dive into this first book of the Bible, Genesis today, chapter 39, we pray, O oh God, that you would unlock many of the truths in this chapter uh, for us, Lord, so that we can learn them and apply them to our lives. And Lord, we don't presume that in this short amount of time we have together uh, that we can plumb all the depths of what you teach us in this chapter. But Lord, please help us at least to get a grasp of the, the big picture and to learn some of the, uh, the, the, the finer points as well, Lord. Would you just sculpt us into the image of Christ as we study your word together over these next few minutes? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, before we dive into chapter 39, it's important that we understand the backstory of what led up to chapter 39. Uh, we're introduced to Joseph, uh, Jacob's 11th of 12 sons, in chapter 37. Uh, he was one of uh, Jacob's 12 sons, which eventually would become uh, the 12 tribes of Israel. And just as his dad, uh, his name was changed to Israel as a wrestler with God, uh, but remember that first given name of his, Jacob, did mean deceiver. And it turns out that he didn't just deceive people. He deceived his own family. And it turns out he didn't just wrestle with God. He also wrestled with people. 
God said that to him when he gave him that new name. You have wrestled with men and with God. And, and some of those he wrestled with were the women that he liked. You see, Israel had some problems. Jacob had 12 sons. Joseph had 11 brothers. And those 11 brothers of Joseph came from four different women. You see, Jacob had married Leah, and then he had married Rachel, so he had two wives at the same time. And then, uh, because Rachel couldn't have any kids, Rachel said, well, here's my maid. Uh, You can have sexual relations with her and have some kids through the maid. And so he goes ahead and has sexual relations with Bilhah. And then Leah sees that Rachel's handmaid is having some kids. So Leah gives her handmaid Zilpah to Rachel. And so he's got two wives and two maids, four moms of these 12 boys. Isn't that a wonderful family tree? So that's what was going on. Joseph had 11 brothers. All 11 came from four different women. Genesis chapter 37, verses 3 and 4. By the way, of those four, uh, wife number two, Rachel, was Jacob or Israel's absolute favorite. And everyone in the family knew it. Rachel was his favorite. He loved Rachel more than he loved Leah. He loved Rachel certainly more than Rachel's handmaid, Bilhah. And he loved Rachel a whole lot more than Leah's handmaid, Zilpah. And so everyone in the family knew this. It wasn't something that Israel tried to hide. He loved her the most. And so finally, after her rival wife Leah has six sons of her own, Rachel finally is able to have a son, and she names him Joseph, and guess who very quickly became Jacob's favorite son. Jacob, or Israel's favorite son, was Joseph. And just like with Joseph's mom, Rachel, Israel didn't hide it. It was right there in the open for all family members to see. Joseph was his favorite. We read in Genesis 37, verses 3 and 4, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated Joseph and could not speak a kind word to him. So not only did Israel love Rachel more than the other ladies, he loves Joseph more than any of his other sons. And so he shows and even flaunts this favoritism by giving Joseph this richly ornamented robe. The old King James calls it a coat of many colors. The Broadway musical calls it Joseph's amazing technicolor dream coat. Whatever you call it, this was a robe that screamed this clear message. You will never be better than second best because the son wearing this robe is his dad's absolute favorite. Every time he wore that robe, that's the message that was communicated to his brothers. You're second best at best. I am dad's favorite. As you might guess, Joseph's brothers weren't too crazy about his new threads. They didn't like that robe very much. In fact, we read in chapter 17 that Joseph's brother hated him. They hated him. They began plotting how they might kill their little brother. And most of you remember what they did. Uh, Joseph went out to check on his 11 brothers one day as they were taking, actually 10 older brothers, as they were taking care of the sheep in the field. 
Uh, they get so angry, they decide they want to kill him, but they throw him into a pit in the meantime until they figure out a, a specific plan. While he's in the pit, some Ishmaelite traders on their way to Egypt are coming by. One of the brothers, Judah, speaks up and says, I've got an idea. Instead of killing our brother, let's make some money off the deal. Let's sell him to these traders as a slave. And so the rest of them say, yeah, that's a good idea. That's a good plan. So they get 20 shekels of silver off of their brother. They give him to the Ishmaelite slave traders, and he's taken to Egypt. And that's where chapter 17 ends. They take that coat of many colors. They dip it in, in, uh, in uh, goat blood, and they hand it to their dad and say, it looks like a wild animal got him. Jacob, at the end of chapter 17, is, excuse me, chapter 37, he's grieving for his favorite son he believes is dead. And Joseph is on his way to Egypt and ends up being sold to Potiphar, the captain of the Pharaoh's guard. That's where we pick up in chapter 39, verse 1. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him, and he bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes. He became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in his house and in the field. So he left Joseph's, in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except for the food that he ate. So let's see if we can wrap our minds around what's going on here. Joseph is just 17 years old when his own flesh and blood, his own brothers, sell him as a slave to Egypt. He's just 17, just a teenager. And and as he's sold into slavery in Egypt, this vicious cycle begins. From a place of promotion, remember the coat of many colors? From a place of promotion to demotion. And believe me, as this cycle continues in the early adult years of Joseph, when he is demoted It's a big, big demotion. You know, he doesn't just go down one rung on the ladder. Man, he's at the bottom. He's a slave in a foreign land. And so we find this cycle beginning at the age of 17, promotion to demotion, promotion to demotion. I want you to put yourself in Joseph's shoes. Imagine going from hero to zero in the matter of a few days. That was Joseph's reality here in chapter 39. The Egyptians spoke a different language than Joseph spoke. Their culture was different than his. Their religion was different than this, uh, than his. Catch this. Joseph, as a follower of the God who created heaven and earth, a follower of Yahweh, he believed in and worshipped one God. He is forced into the slave trade, taken hundreds of miles from his home, to a different country, on a different continent, in this nation of Egypt, which at the time recognized and worshipped around 2,000 different gods. You talk about culture shock. Imagine being in Joseph's shoes, being thrust into this strange situation. 
He had to quickly learn the language and quickly learn the culture and quickly at least uh, be able to learn their religious experience so he could somehow interact with them. But despite how many crummy uh, situations Joseph had to deal with as he was thrust into the slave trade there in Egypt, he didn't stay at zero for very long. Joseph had been demoted for sure, but he didn't stay demoted. Because why? God was with him. We find that repeated through these verses early in chapter 39. I want you to look again at what is said in verses 2 through 4 here. It says, The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered. He lived in the house of his Egyptian master, When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his whole household. He entrusted to his care everything that he owned. So Joseph prospered in the house of his new master for one simple reason. And that one simple reason was because God was with him. Say that with me. God was with him. Altogether, God was with him. The Lord was with Joseph. He was promoted to the highest position of any servant in Potiphar's house. Once again, he was back on top. So just in review, he's on top of the pecking order among the 12 sons of Jacob. He's on top. He was promoted by his dad very quickly. But then when his brothers sell him into slavery, he's at the bottom. He's demoted. But there he is in the household of Potiphar. Potiphar promotes him to the highest place of any servant in that household. He's promoted again. Do you think he's going to stay there? No, because he's going through this cycle. Look what happens starting in the second half of verse 6, still here in chapter 39. We read, Now Joseph was well built and handsome. Now, that's a setup. Something's going to happen here, right? He's well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph, and she said, come to bed with me. She's not too subtle, is she? Uh Uh-oh. Up until now, the writer of Genesis 37 and 39, who is Moses, the writer of Genesis 37 and 39, is basically giving us narrative, simply describing the events in Joseph's life, but not really cluing us into his character and integrity in the midst of it. But here for the first time, we're going to see without a doubt that his integrity and his character is going to be put to the test. Here Joseph's character is is put to the test in plain view for all to see. Potiphar held one of the highest positions in all of Egypt. He was captain of the Pharaoh's guard. And so since he was such a high official in Egypt, and this was a rather superficial culture, It's not a stretch to imagine that Potiphar's wife was an absolute knockout. By standards of beauty in those days, she certainly was considered to be a knockout. And so Joseph is being made a very tempting offer. This woman looks good. This woman smells good. This woman knows all the right words to say to get a man into her bedroom. Frankly, what Joseph faces here was an opportunity that most single men in his day, and sadly, most single men in our day, would have jumped at. Most men would have jumped at this opportunity. But you fast forward about 600 years, and here's what the wise King Solomon wrote in Proverbs chapter 5 
about the adulterous, seductive woman. Solomon would write in Proverbs 5, 600 years later, For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as gall, sharp as the double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. Those are some wise words. Two chapters later in Proverbs 7, Solomon continues, he says, With persuasive words she led him astray. She seduced the young man with her smooth talk. All at once he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose, till an arrow pierces his liver like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. Those words would not be penned for 600 600 years, but Joseph understood the principles and the truths of these words very well, didn't he? According to God's word, Potiphar's wife, her proposal was a proposal of death. Most men in Joseph's situation would have jumped at this opportunity, but let's see what Joseph did. We pick up in verse 7. She says to him, come to bed with me. But Joseph refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except for you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day, he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew is, has been brought here to, to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. That was a terrible impersonation, wasn't it? When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and he ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until her master, his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story his wife had told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. The place where they were confined. So how did Joseph handle his boss's wife's advances. He handled them with absolute wisdom and integrity. Here in chapter 39, Joseph's godly character is revealed in plain view for all to see. He refuses, first of all, according to verse 8, he refuses to betray his master's trust. Secondly, according to verse 9, he refuses to do what is wicked in God's sight. Thirdly, in verse 10, we see that he does his best to avoid being even in the same room with this woman. And when she finally corners him, and you can imagine what she did before he came into the house. She was probably dismissing all the servants and setting this trap for him so that there would be hardly any way for him to escape. 
And so she sets this trap for him, but in in verse 10, after having done his best to avoid her day after day, she takes hold of him, grabs his cloak, and says, come to bed with me. And notice when he's cornered, and when she has his cloak in his hands, notice how Joseph handles it. He doesn't try to talk her out of it. He doesn't try to debate her. He didn't even offer to pray with her. You know what? What you're doing right now is disappointing in the eyes of the Lord. I know you're wearing your lingerie right now, but even still, let's just bow in a word of prayer. Joseph doesn't do that. Joseph does what any godly man in this situation should do. He bolted. He ran out of there as fast as he could. As he took three steps and realized he was missing his jacket, he didn't turn around and say, excuse me, could you hand that back to me? He didn't care. He bolted. Any man could stand to learn this lesson from Joseph. When you are cornered in that situation, you do not try to debate the woman. You do not try to talk rationally with the woman. You do not try to pray with the woman so that she will be enlightened. If you want to pray with her, you pray as you're running at top speed out of that house. Amen? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? In his Genesis commentary, Warren Wearsby, I think, says it so well. No matter how much people talk about love and defend sex outside of marriage, the experience is wrong, cheap, and demeaning. Premarital sex and adultery change a pure river into a sewer, and transform free people into slaves and then animals. What begins as sweetness soon turns into poison. Joseph wasn't about to sacrifice either his purity or his integrity just to please his master's wife. Wise words. Joseph stood firm in his integrity. He obeyed God's commands, but it cost him. Notice what happened at the end of that passage. When Potiphar's wife lied to her husband, telling him that Joseph tried to seduce her, Potiphar was furious, and he threw Joseph into jail. Now, I think normally in those circumstances, uh, he would have had Joseph killed. So my hunch is he suspected that his wife was lying. But he was in a pickle, and so he didn't want to throw his wife in jail. He throws Joseph in jail as well, instead, I should say. And so there he is, top of his dad's family, great promotion. He's suddenly demoted, sold as a slave. There with Potiphar in Potiphar's house, he's once again promoted to the highest position in Potiphar's house. But then he's falsely accused, and very quickly he's demoted. Now he is in prison. We pick up in verse 20. We continue reading. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. The workers paid no attention. Excuse me. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Promotion, demotion. Promotion, demotion. They're in jail once again. He's promoted. As Joseph stood firmly on his integrity and obeyed God's command to avoid every hint of sexual immorality, he did pay the price. He was thrown in jail. But while there, God promoted him once again. 
Why did God do that? Because God blesses those who are obedient to his word. Joseph was a living example of the first three verses in the book of Psalms. It's a wonderful first psalm there in the book of Psalms. Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3 says this, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, do you remember how that verse ends? Whatever he does prospers. Whatever he does prospers. Each time Joseph was demoted, Joseph held fast to his integrity and kept living in obedience to God's commands. So God did what God always does. He blessed his follower. God always, always, always blesses those who are obediently following his will. When people choose to be God-pleasers, no matter what it costs them here on earth, When those choose to be God-pleasers instead of being man-pleasers, God without fail will bless that person. Do you believe it? Do you believe it, church? If you do God's will, he will bless you. Now, he's promoted in the prison. And over the next few chapters, many of you remember the story that Joseph experiences his greatest promotion yet. He's there in jail for several years. And through a miraculous set of circumstances... God gives Pharaoh two dreams, one dream about seven puny uh, emaciated cows coming out of the Nile River. And they come out of the Nile River and there on the bank they swallow seven plump healthy cows. And then he dreams about seven uh, withered heads of grain that swallow seven healthy plump heads of grain. And and he's confused, and so uh, the Pharaoh goes to all of his famous uh, dream interpreters, and they go to their dream books. Back then, they would have thousands of pages worth of documentation on dream interpretation there in Egypt. And so they're flipping through their books, trying to find any similar dreams to to these two dreams. They couldn't find any. All of those experts came to Pharaoh and said, we can't figure this one out, we're sorry. But he finds out that there is this Hebrew slave in prison. His name is Joseph. And so he brings Joseph into his palace. He brings Joseph in and asks him if he can interpret those dreams. And Joseph says something much like Daniel would say years later when Daniel stood before Nebuchadnezzar. Joseph is brought in. The king asks him the question, I had these two dreams. Are you able to interpret them for me? And Joseph answers, no. The king's thinking to himself, well, that was a waste of time. Why did I bring this guy in from the jail? He says, no, I can't do it, but God can. And he has revealed to me what those dreams are. He begins to tell him that the seven weak heads of grain and the seven skinny cows represent seven years of famine. But first, before that famine comes, those seven sleek cows and those seven plump heads of grain represent seven good years. And so Joseph says, you're going to have seven years of plenty in the fields, and you better make sure that you are saving up for those seven years of famine because they're coming in about seven years. You need to appoint someone to make sure that you're saving up grain and saving up produce over these next seven years. And the king says, well, I can't think of anyone better to do that than you, Joseph. And right then and there, he gives Joseph the second highest position in all of Egypt. 
promotion. And at this time, he's not demoted. God was looking out for Joseph, and as he held on to his integrity, God saw to it that he was placed in a position where he would be there during that time of famine. And a year into that famine, his ten older brothers would come down to Egypt because back in Palestine, they were having a similar famine. They come down to buy grain. They have several interactions on two separate trips with their brother. And after 22 years, 22 years after being sold into slavery, 22 years after being plucked from his family and thrust into slavery in Egypt, 22 years after having to deal with all these ups and downs and ups and downs, Joseph reveals himself to his brothers that he is the second in command in Egypt. And the family reunion takes place. And for those of us that look at a trial we're dealing with, we can take comfort in knowing Joseph had ups and downs for 22 years before God placed him in a position where he could see without a doubt that God was with him every step of the way. Now there's four lessons, four life lessons I want to make sure that we have with us today. There's so many lessons from especially chapter 39 uh, that we could apply to our lives, but I just want to narrow it down to four today. I don't want to be overwhelming with having 17 lessons or something like that, but here are four. Lesson number one, regardless of how crummy your circumstances are, you know this is going to be a good one, right? No matter how crummy your circumstances are, you will prosper if God is with you. Therefore, in your darkest hour, cling to God. Cling to God. Cling to God. At 17 years old, Joseph was forcefully separated from his family, but no one could separate him from his God. He might have felt alone, but God was with him. And because God was with him, All that he did prospered. So if you are a believer and follower of Jesus Christ today, and I hope every one of us in this room is, if you are a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, no matter who rejects you, no matter who walks out on you, no matter who abandons you, God never will. Do you believe that? God never will. And if God is with you, God will prosper you. So when everyone around you refuses to hold on tight to you, what do you do? You hold on tightly to God. Amen? Never forget that. When everyone lets go of you, you hold on tightly to God. Lesson number two. No matter what people take away from you, never, ever, ever surrender your integrity or your faith in God. Sometimes it's good to go back and Look at some of the Bible commentators from centuries ago. And one of my favorites to go back and look at is Matthew Henry from the 17th century. Here's what he said about this passage. Quote, Those that have wisdom and grace have that which cannot be taken from them. Whatever else they are robbed of. Joseph's brethren had stripped him of his coat of many colors But they could not strip him of his virtue and wisdom. Isn't that good? They stripped him of his coat of many colors, but they could not strip him of his virtue and his wisdom. It's well said. 
Thieves can steal our cars. A bank can take back our home. A burglar can come in and take every material possession that we own. But nobody can take our faith in God or our integrity. The only way that you and I can lose our faith or our integrity is if we choose to foolishly give it away. So never give it away. No matter what your circumstances are, never, ever, ever give away your faith or your integrity. Lesson number three. What people have said and done in order to harm you, God can use for your good. I love this lesson. What people have said and done in order to harm you, God can use for your good. Many of you know that my very favorite verse in all of Scripture is Romans 8.28. It's my mom's favorite verse too. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to to his purpose. For years, Romans 8.28 has been my favorite verse in the Bible, and I've clung to that truth. And we know that in all things, God, work, God works for the good. That doesn't say that all things are good. It doesn't say that God causes all things to happen. But it does say no matter what stuff happens in my life, God is at work for the good if I love him and am called according to his purpose. I've taken comfort and strength in those verses so many times over the years. But something I didn't realize is that at the end of Joseph's story is the Old Testament equivalent of Romans 8.28. At the end of Joseph's story, it's there in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Here is the Old Testament equivalent of Romans 8, 28. It says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. The context there is Jacob, Israel, the father of Joseph and his 11 brothers, he dies And his ten older brothers are are just certain that once their dad is dead, Joseph is going to seek vengeance on them. He's going to kill them for what they had done 30-some-odd years ago by selling him into slavery. And so they're scared to death once their dad is dead. And so Joseph goes to them in Genesis 50 and says, Don't worry, you intended to harm me, but God is the one who brought me down to Egypt. He intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. They intended it for evil. God used it for good. Isn't that just like our awesome God to do that? And you may have an ex-husband or an ex-wife that intended to harm you with what they said and did. You may have a parent that intended to harm you with what they said and did. You may have an ex-boss or a neighbor, whoever it may be, that had every intention of destroying your life by what they said and did. And God, I am telling you, can take even that and somehow use it to work together for good. He's an awesome God. Joseph could see and understand what his brothers were blind to. God is so strong and God is so good that he can transform even the worst of circumstances into something good. And if you're looking at your own life and say, you know what, it's my own darn fault. I'm the one that screwed up. I'm the one that said and did what screwed my life up. I want to tell you today, God can even take my worst blunders and somehow work them together for good because we serve an amazingly good and an amazingly powerful God that desires to bless each and every one of you As you follow him. Lesson four. If you'll let him. 
God will build your character while you are being overworked and underappreciated. I like this point too. If you'll let him, God will build your character while you are being overworked and underappreciated. Warren Wearsby makes a good point here. He says this, Had Joseph stayed at home with his pampering father, Joseph might not have developed the kind of character that comes from hard work and obeying orders. You with him so far on that? If Joseph had stayed at home with his dad who was constantly doting on him and and giving him fancy jackets, there's a good chance Joseph wouldn't be the hero of our faith that he is today. His character quite likely wouldn't have been built. Wearsby goes on to write, God's method for building us is to give us a job to do and people to obey. He tests us as servants before he promotes us to being rulers. Before he allows us to exercise authority, we have to be under authority and learn to obey. Parents, do you think these are some wise words for us to apply to our parenting? I've got to tell you, parents, it's so important for us to require our kids to work hard. Working hard and following orders builds character. Teenagers, did you hear that? Working hard and following orders builds character. Let's have everybody say that together. Working hard and following orders builds character. I've got to tell you, teenagers, and we've got, I think, some kids in the room too today. I've got to tell you, washing dishes, not too exciting, but it builds character. Cleaning your room, not very exciting, but it builds character. Making your bed, well, that's the point of making my bed. I'm going to get in it tonight anyways. Making your bed builds character. Picking up dog droppings in the backyard. Builds character. Vacuuming the house builds character. Pulling weeds builds character. God has created us to work. And my heart goes out to those of you who have physical disabilities that can't work like you used to. And I know many of you would speak into the lives of our young people and say, you know what? If my body would allow me to, I'd be working 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week. I used to do that, but I can't physically do it anymore. And those of us who are younger and have able bodies, we don't appreciate what we have, the God-given ability to work hard. But even when we have some sort of physical disabilities, God still gives us a certain ability to work to the extent that our bodies will allow us to work. God created us to work hard. God created us to follow orders. Just like in Joseph's life, following orders faithfully with a positive attitude and a humble spirit builds your character. When Joseph reached his defining moments, regardless of whether Joseph was a doted on son or a slave in a foreign land, or a prisoner or an exalted ruler, he demonstrated integrity. He worked hard. He obeyed God's word. He followed God's commands. And I hope and pray that we will do the same in the simple tasks that we are asked to do each day, in the simple orders that we are given either by our parents, by our boss, or in my case, many times by my wife. She's on a women's retreat. Hopefully she doesn't listen to that part of the message. As God gives us opportunities to follow simple, simple orders and commands and to work hard, 
Never underestimate God's ability to build your character in the midst of those simple, simple tasks. God, we come to you thanking you for the wonderful, beautiful, powerful example of Joseph. God, I thank you that he wasn't like his dad. A man who was self-centered and deceived his own father, deceived his own brother, deceived his own uncle. Lord, I thank you that Joseph was a man of integrity, whether he was on the lowest rung of the ladder in a foreign land, whether he was wearing the fancy coat or stripped of that fancy coat, whether he was in jail or whether he was second in command of the greatest nation on earth. Lord, he maintained his integrity. He maintained his faithful obedience to your commands. He resisted temptation. He ran when he needed to run. He stood firm when he needed to stand firm. I pray, O oh God, that we would do the same. Because according to the New Testament, God, as Christians, we are strangers in a foreign land. We are not of this world. We live in Egypt. We listen to what comes out of people's mouths at the, at the store, in front of their little kids, Lord, dropping this profanity left and right in front of their little kids. We hear the music, Lord, blasting in people's cars. Sometimes we shake our heads. We don't speak this language. We see what people do and how they live, Lord, and it's a foreign culture. Heaven is our home. But God, like Joseph, you've placed us here. You have a purpose and a plan for us here. So God, I pray for everyone that's in their circumstance right now that stinks. There's not enough money and there's not enough hope, Lord. I pray that you would give them hope. No, No matter what trials come their way, they would stand strong and firm in their integrity, obeying your word every single day. And Lord, sometimes... Times of promotion are times when we sacrifice our integrity. I pray for those who've got it made right now. They're just, they're just experiencing smooth sailing right now. God, I pray that you'd be with them especially. Help them to hold on to their integrity in the midst of their success. Help them, Lord, to obey your word in the midst of their promotion. Help us to faithfully follow you as Joseph faithfully followed you. As we live in this foreign land. Until that day comes that you call us home to be with you. Lord, may you find us faithful in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand together as our praise team comes up. If you're here today and you have a decision to make for Jesus Christ, this is the time to do it. We want to invite you make a decision for Christ. We have some prayer counselors up here. We'll also have one in back. If you need prayer, you come for prayer. If you have a decision to make for Christ, you come and we'd love to talk to you about how even today you can put Jesus Christ in charge of your life. You come if you have a decision or prayer today.